Kade on CityCast Madison. Madison is a city that's proud of its global roots and its politically engaged residents. Last month, more than a thousand protesters took to the state capitol to rally in support of Palestine in the ongoing Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The AP reported Tuesday that the death toll in Gaza now tops 24,000 lives, and the UN is urging for immediate aid. One of the groups involved in the rally and other efforts for getting aid to Palestine is Madison Rafa Sister City Project. We sat down with the project's coordinator, Barb Olson, to hear about their organization and how any concerned Madisonians can help. It's Wednesday, January 17th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Barb, hello. Hi. So first off, before we get too deep into anything, what is the Madison Rafa Sister City Project? Well, the Madison Rafa Sister City Project was founded in 2003. Um, and the idea of it, it, it was founded by a woman named Jennifer Lowenstein, who had spent some time in Gaza. And she worked in a in an office, I believe it was um, Almazan Center for Human Rights, which was located in Gaza City. A lot of the people that worked in Almazan lived in Rafa, so she became familiar with Rafa. Rafa is located at the very southern edge on the border with Egypt, whereas Gaza City is more in the north. And Gaza City is sort of like the metropolitan center of Gaza. It's the largest area. It was where a lot of the institutions were. Uh, Rafa was more of a poor area. There's a big refugee camp there um, and a sort of a commuter situation in some ways where people would drive up you know, to Gaza City and work and then go home. And so she came home and she thought, maybe we should try to start a sister city uh, with Rafa. And it was actually modeled after some other sister cities, particularly the El Salvador sister city, Madison Arcatau. Uh, there's also some others, Colombia. There was one with Nicaragua at the time. It was a specific model that was chosen, which was a solidarity model to be working with people who were in, in a situation where they needed solidarity and that were in some way heavily impacted by U.S. foreign policy. The first project was actually to try to send some money to fix a, a water well that Israel had blown up. Um, and then we moved into a phase of trying to get official sister city approval. And I won't go through all the details, but it was a whole year of campaigning and we became the only sister city proposal in the history of Madison to ever be turned down. Um, we had a majority on the city council, but we needed a super majority. And the mayor, Cheslavich at the time, had said that he would veto it. Um, so we had been prepared for that to go on as an unofficial sister city. And so for the last 21 years, that's what we've done. You've carried on and, you know, you've been working on this for like decades. And I want to ask, how are you doing right now? Um, we're not doing well. I mean, people are working really hard to respond to this present crisis, um, but it's very stressful. Um, I personally am lucky. I don't have 
uh, close relatives in Gaza. There's some distant relatives on my husband's family, but uh, some pe- there are a lot of people in town that do have relatives. So there's personal connections, but it's it's more a situation of looking at something that we never in our wildest dreams in some ways thought would happen. And there's a there's a certain amount of stress from realizing that our projects and our partners, one of our main partners, the Adfalana School for the Deaf in Gaza City, has been completely and totally destroyed by Israel, along with the workshops where our products that we marketed, the beautiful embroidery, ceramics, the wood products, this is all gone. Um, and that we don't know the status of our other projects. Uh, we've put in five water filters through the Middle East Children's Alliance because water is a huge problem. We don't right now know the status, but they said that even if they aren't destroyed, they can't function without electricity um, if they don't have solar power and they can't function if the water isn't functioning. So there's numbers of things like that where we just, at this point, we really don't know. So are you having trouble being in contact with folks who are on the ground, like the people you normally would be able to to touch base with? Well, that's, that's, there's a great deal of difficulty in getting into and out of Rafa. So in the past 21 years, we have gotten exactly four people, four, into Rafa. And I think it's two to three that have come out in 21 years. And so we moved at, at a certain point in the past into working with in humanitarian projects through third parties. So we work a lot through Middle East Children's Alliance. We've worked with a group called Rebuilding Alliance. We've worked with Playgrounds for Palestine. So these groups do have people on the ground that they're in as much touch with as they can be. You know, we contact them and ask about specific things. Because the other thing that I didn't mention was because there was no longstanding Palestine solidarity group in Madison, they would come and go. We have functioned for a long time also as a general solidarity group. So we've paid attention to other areas of Palestine, lots of different issues, lots of education, et cetera. So the the Rafa um, connection has been our focus primarily in terms of humanitarian work. But yes, it is very difficult to get a hold of of uh, people on the ground. We We don't know, for example, if the boy that we brought here for treatment through the Palestine Children's Relief Fund, who was in Jabalia camp. We don't know if he's alive or dead. As of two or three weeks into, they had information that he was alive. Now they have no information. And Jabalia camp is basically raised. So we know he's not there. He's in a wheelchair. Um, So this kind of thing, we're not able to find out. Now, it is possible for people to sometimes get phone Uh, and internet connections, but it's very spotty. I'm so sorry to hear that about this boy. Um, I can hear the pain in your voice. I know that that pain is shared um, by a lot of people in Madison, a part of the project, and, and, and folks listening who feel kind of helpless, you know, um, we are at a distance. And, you know, I've seen signs around Madison. Um, We've seen a lot of things happen uh, last month, gatherings and protests. And I wanted to ask if you could kind of share some of some of the ways you've seen Madison come together in recent times, like to try and support the Palestinian humanitarian efforts that you all are involved in. Well, there's a number of things that people have been doing and that can do. 
The first and most important thing to realize is that the U.S. government is responsible for this. We're paying for it. We're funding it. We're protecting them, you know, everywhere around the world. And so we have a special responsibility wherever we are in the U.S. to pressure the U.S. government. So locally, what we have been doing and have been working with a lot of other people are doing is to continue to pressure Senator Tammy Baldwin, uh, also to some extent Mark Pocan, who's who's a much better position, but it could be doing more. And then the Biden administration, just in general, people need to get together with everyone around the country to pressure the government to change course. So that's probably the very first thing that people can do. And it's very daunting because, frankly, they're ignoring us. Um, it's estimated that at one point they had 900,000 calls into Congress. These were the congressional interns. Uh, and that they were they had to put out a statement saying that the politicians are ignoring it. But but we have to keep pressuring. We have to keep trying to get them to change course. So that's really the first. And you said that they're ig- ig- ignoring. Have you heard anything from you know, Tammy Baldwin's office or Ron Johnson or, or Mark Pocan? Well, Ron Johnson it just doesn't respond to anything. So we haven't really focused on, on him much. I think people could focus on him. The, the Republican Party is a whole different conversation in terms of what their position is. So Senator Baldwin spent the first couple months of this ignoring uh, request, which many groups, including us, put in through the official process for a meeting. And then at at a certain point, some of the the peace groups, um, the World Beyond War, and I believe the Mennonites are involved, started a a small sit-in at Tammy Baldwin's Madison office. So from on weekdays between nine and five, they would literally get in there, the building and sit in her reception area and not leave. And this went on for a couple of weeks and got bigger. And there was, you know, a little demonstration there in a press conference. Finally, she they called and said, well, she will give you 20 minutes by Zoom and you can have 10 people in the room in the office in Madison and she will talk to you. Now, that works out to less than two minutes per person. But in any case, what came out of that was a lot of, I would call deflection, which is, oh, I'm, I don't like any of this that's going on. I feel really bad, uh, you know, for the crisis there, but refusal to call for a ceasefire up until that point. And certainly nothing beyond that in terms of the request is that she oppose the military aid um, that is being sent and proposed to be sent. So a few days after that, she issued a statement, a video statement, where she said, well, yes, she would like to see a ceasefire. There were all kinds of conditions on that, but there was nothing beyond that. There was no commitment to actually do anything. And since then, no one else that I know of has been able to get a meeting. No one's ever gotten back to us about further meeting. But you did make an impact. We had a small impact. Um, but then if it doesn't go beyond that, it, it won't really have much impact. So, yes, people can have an impact, but you need to keep pushing, need to keep pushing for the ceasefire, uh, a permanent, you know, long term ceasefire, a uh, stop to the military aid, uh, no more military aid. And then the most important thing, which is what we should talk about right now, is the absolute need for for massive humanitarian aid to get into Gaza, because the numbers of people that have died so far, which is maybe 30,000, 
we think, and wounded at 60 or more, is nothing compared to what is going to happen if we don't stop the starvation that has set in, the diseases that are going through there, the destruction of the healthcare system, every system, every infrastructure in Gaza is, is pretty much gone. And the, the, your situation where people have nowhere to go and they're going to die in very large numbers if this isn't done. You're saying one of the main pathways to getting humanitarian aid is through our representatives. There's a resolution that Senator Bernie Sanders out of Vermont put forward in terms of cutting back on military aid to Israel. Is that something that you would want to see from our senators? Like, what what do you want our senators to do? Um, because there is obviously a lot of resistance uh, at the national level towards something like a ceasefire. Well, that's, that's, that's the minimum. The senators right now have the opportunity, because Bernie Sanders has put this resolution forward, to vote on this. We could be pressuring them for, for aid and you know, whatever. But but in terms of the aid right now, that's the most urgent thing is probably to organize at the grassroots level to try to send aid also. Now there's, so that's what we're doing. And we are launching now a, a fundraising campaign to, to raise money for the Middle East Children's Alliance, which has the ability to some extent to feed people on the ground to provide winter equipment. It's winter in Gaza and people have not been able to even bring their sweaters and whatever. So so the the government, mainly we have to pressure the government to stop this. Biden could get on the phone tomorrow and it would stop. I guarantee you that. Um, but he's not willing to. And so that that's the first thing, demand the government to stop. And then there has to be massive aid and reconstruction. And, and that's obviously beyond the ability of small groups of local people, but there are things that we can do that are very effective uh, if they can get in. And so that's what we're asking in terms of humanitarian aid. I feel like, you know, and you kind of spoke to this, but the infrastructure on the ground right now, it's obviously a pretty tough situation right now to get aid distributed. There are lots of groups that are, you know, uh, out there that people could reach out to. How do you determine, you know, who is a viable candidate? Like, how are you, how do you guys suss that out? Well, there's a lot of different groups that, that are doing good work. The, the reason that we have focused a lot on the Middle East Children's Alliance is because we have worked with them for the past 20 years we have great confidence in their ability to not only deliver and, and come up with creative ways to get things done, but in their connections on the ground, they have staff people there. And also that the types of programs that they have funded are the kind of things that are aimed to help build capacity and self-sufficiency. So for example, they had a program where they would take the money that was raised, buy food from local farmers, bring it into the town, give it to local women who are then paid to cook the food and bring it out, you know, good nutritious food to schools to feed children. So this this type of thing is what they do. Now, right now, they're just scrambling, you know, to do whatever they can. But they this week, they connected with a, a group on the ground that was able to provide hot meals 
to children and they were able to somehow find, you know, whatever they can find. I mean, there's a trickle of aid that's going in. I think it's right now 100 to 140 trucks a day are getting in. Pre-war, it was 500 trucks a day, and that was just to maintain people from not starving. I mean, people were hungry in Gaza and poor in Gaza way before this. And, and so it's cut down. So there is a little bit that can get in. And we recommend that Mecca because they can do good things with it. They have some people in Egypt also that are working, you know, 24 hours a day to get aid, get it ready, get prepared in case um, it, it can be done. But again, the other overriding thing is stop the bombing because people cannot distribute anything aside from that the roads are destroyed and there's no way to get it and the infrastructures and all the aid organizations have had to pull out. Nevertheless, we can do something by organizing to raise money for aid that can get in. And many Gazans, you know, and upwards towards a million people have moved uh, to Rafa, like are moving south and moving to this place that you all have tried to make an official sister city here in Madison. You know, is that effort over in terms of making it an official sister city here? Um, where is that process at? When we first were denied our intention, which was in 2004, and this was before Hamas was elected in 2006, and before Israel withdrew in 2005, Israel had settlements there. Um, we had intended to step back, keep doing our work, and then at some point reapply. Uh, what happened was two things. One is Hamas was elected and won the elections in 2006. And then the, the blockade was declared, and so things got even tighter. The U.S. very quickly designated them as a terrorist organization. And because they administer Gaza, the, Hamas is not just the military, they're a whole you know, civil organization, administrative organization. Uh, we would not have been permitted to do that. And, and there would have been no point in, in trying to do that. Nothing would have been gained. And so we decided at that point, because we don't deal with the government anyway, um, to go ahead without the status. At this point, that has not changed. Um, should it cha change in the future, we'd have to look at it. But you know, it could be very complex to do that. So yeah, we we have to look at that. But but we were actually thinking this year before this happened that we should revisit the possibility because there's some other options that you can do. Friendship City, there are different things. Um, Representative Mark Pocan was very interested in in working with us to do that. I think at this point that's off the table for now. Yeah. Well, keep us updated for sure. And before we go. Is there anything that's giving you hope at this time? It's hard to say. I, I think the situation is overwhelming. It gives you hope to realize that, particularly among young people, um, that there's much more clarity on the situation overall of what's going on. It gives us hope that South Africa has just taken Israel to the International Court of Justice and charged them with genocide. With, with the support of many countries and people around the world. So there's a lot of hope in terms of the popular support for this and also the resilience. The Palestinian people are very resilient and there are a lot of creative things that go on in terms of people trying to survive and to, to keep going. We have been very encouraged and we're happy with the 
fact that we're finding so many people here in Madison that just spontaneously on their own are going out and doing things, raising money, uh, holding demonstrations. There was a group that had a bike ride for Palestine that we had never even heard of. And we're hoping with our fundraising campaign now to start tapping into also uh, some of that. And we've, we've been doing these lighted signs all over town for ceasefire. And every single one of them, people turn up. We put out the word, people turn up you know, in the cold to join us to do this. It is very uh, uplifting and helps keep you going to see that there's a lot of support in Madison. That you're not alone. Yeah, well, Barb, we so, so appreciate you joining us and talking about uh, your efforts with the Sister City Project and, and giving us an update. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. That's Barb Olson, lead coordinator for the Madison Rafa Sister City Project. If you want to follow the organization's efforts, check out our show notes for a link to their site. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoy the show, why not share this episode with your friend who's most up on international news. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Until then.